Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Hey everyone, how you doing? All good? It's great to be back. Um, Ellie and I and Gabriel, we were just visiting Ellie's, um, well, both of our, um, Ellie's sister-in-law, brother-in-law and family. It was great to see them in East London and we've, we've just come to see you guys this morning. And so it's a blessing to be here. For any of you who don't know, we've now moved to Nottingham. We've been there for three months, so not actually that, that far, that long, but it does feel like it's been a long time, you know, it's, we've missed you guys and we, we really, even just worshipping with you this morning, it, it feels, it feel a sense of family. We're now part of like a, basically a pretty much in English standards, a mega church. So we've got to know about three people and um, it's, it's wonderful. Um, but it, we, we, Ellie was gracious in like, you know, encouraging, well, sort of giving into the, the desire to, to move and be closer for my work and all that kind of stuff. But um, just a little update, uh, we, we had DTI, we've moved to Nottingham, that's a personal update, but we had DTI, thank you for all of you who served and gave. We saw almost 4,000 people on site. Um, we saw hundreds of young people give their lives to Jesus, more than we've ever seen. We saw um, young people's lives transformed. We had over 450 written testimonies of just transformation. I think it's around 500, I can't remember, but it's, it's just amazing to see the impact that um, these kind of gatherings make in young people's lives. So we just appreciate your prayers and your input and any giving that you've given towards it or, or serving. You're welcome to come and serve on the DTI team next year. We have over 500 volunteers, so you, you'd be part of a big team. But um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the kind of quick update. And um, I wanted to ask a question before I read the passage this morning. And this is, you don't have to give me a shout back of what your answer will be. But I wonder what the greatest miracle you've ever seen or experienced in your life. What's, what's the greatest, maybe as I'm speaking this morning, you could reflect and think, what is the greatest miracle that I've, with, my, with both my eyes, in my life, that I've actually seen or witnessed. Maybe it's something that you didn't see that you heard about. And um, while you're thinking about that or, or letting God remind you of something powerful, um, why don't you turn your Bibles to John uh, chapter 6. Um, if you've got one, I won't judge you if you don't. I just, I'm just old school Christian. Like I followed my dad's footsteps and my, just bring the Bible to church, you know. People still look at me funny when I've got a paper Bible, but it's, it's the real thing. And you can find it a lot quicker. So if you've got it on your phone, excuse to get your phone out. I won't judge you, um, but I'll just be sure to know that you're on the, on the phone for the Bible. Ellie's at the back telling me to hurry up. Okay, um, here we go. Okay, John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Oh, has everyone got it? Or it's on the screen? Great. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy the bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. 
for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough food, to, to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Wow, that's a lot of money for a smaller bit of food. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with, small, with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among, among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There, is, there was plenty of grass in that place and people sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took, then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When, he had all, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with, of, with the pieces of, five, of the barley, five, sorry, five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Wow, that's, that's so much food, guys, left over. After Jesus saw the sign, after people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is, who, who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they had in, intended to come, Jesus, sorry, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountainside by himself. It's such a powerful story, right? And, um, and just a few little facts, like just before, as I get into this, that you might not know and that I could share, but I'd like to share at the start, just to get you thinking about this miracle. This is the only other miracle other than the resurrection that is recorded in all four Gospels, just so for, it's interesting, right? It's the only, uh, only other one other than the, the resurrection. Although it's titled The Feeding of the 5,000, it's very, very likely that because they just said that they only counted the, the men, how rude, um, that, 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 they, that he probably will have fed about fifteen to 20,000 people that day. That's what a lot of theologians would argue. Isn't that a lot? That, that's one heck of a miracle, guys. With this tiny contribution towards that many people, Jesus can take anything. And then the final thing, scholars sort of argue that it was literally just, a, not just a sm- like a boy's lunch, but a small, poor boy's lunch. And the fish was more like a, a garnish at the side that you would spread onto the bread. It wasn't like these, you know, it wasn't no Gale's Bakery bread um, with, with that. And it, it definitely wasn't the, the, the fishmonger down on, on Northcote Road. It wasn't no posh thing. It was a very, it was a poor boy's lunch that fed fifteen to 20,000 people. Isn't that an amazing miracle? And this is, this is the heart of God. This is the Jesus that we're, we're talking about this morning. Um, so I love this story because it gives us a glimpse into what it's like, what Jesus as a discipler was like with his disciples. It gives us a, a glimpse that he draws them in rather than just does all the stuff himself. And we see that, ch- just check out in verse five, um, how it's, it's straight away says, where shall we buy the bread? He asks that question. See, he knew, but he invited them into the miracle. And this is what I love about the way Jesus does things. Um, or, or in other gospel accounts, he says, you feed them. He basically puts the responsibility onto them. And it's just beautiful. Um, if you were to pull all the different um, accounts together, 
there's three, so, the, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's actually sort of three responses. In this passage we read, there's, there's two responses of what the disciples, how they respond to Jesus. But if you were to read the Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account, there's a, a third way. And I just want to put to you guys that when Jesus comes to us and, and says, hey, I want you to do this, and he, oh, we, we're not, like he usually speaks to us through his spirit, and he, he puts something on our heart or he calls us to step out in faith. There's usually three ways that we respond. And I think, well, we know that there's three ways the disciple responds. So I want to put this. The first way is that we ignore. Can everyone say ignore? We ignore Jesus. We ignore the Holy Spirit. We just ignore. And you see this in the response. We, and this isn't in John's gospel, but it's in the other three. He's, they say, send them away. Like Jesus, we've, 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 done, we've looked around and send them away. We can't do this. They need to go get their own food. It's not our problem, it's their problem. That's their response. I wonder if when Jesus stirs your heart, that's the first thing you do, you just ignore him. Maybe there's something that he's put on your heart that he's been speaking to you for weeks, months, maybe years, and you, it's still like, I just ignore. I, I can understand that it's an issue, but I'm just gonna ignore it. Like, Years ago, I was employed to work for a charity called Teen Challenge. And it started in, over in America. They worked with, their whole principle was getting drug addicts off the street from homeless situations, from very dark situations, into rehab, free, and then, they would, and then just go on in their life. And they saw great success in this. So I, worked, I did this job for three years, and two years, one year, not three, not two, one. One year, and I realized I just find it too hard to work with drug addicts. But... Um, what, what the principle was with Teen Challenge is if you see someone homeless or, the, or, or you know that they're a drug addict or you could help them as Teen Challenge, definitely number one thing, do not ignore them. Don't look at them and walk away. Too many people do that. Then the, the second principle, this was like, this was just a checklist when you see someone. The second thing was do not give them money, buy them food or buy them what you think they'll need. And then the third thing is definitely don't ignore them. Go up to them if you've got time and, and what they need is your time and their energy. Even a conversation with someone who's homeless and has nothing is better than ignoring. And so letting you into a bit of my life, this is years ago when I lived in Bournemouth, I would often see homeless people. But what I would see is the issue that I was gonna have to deal with. What I would see is the, they've got so many issues, the chances of them getting free and whatever is just too hard, so I would ignore them. I would cross the road, and I'm just being really honest here, I would cross the road and I would walk away. Maybe you've done the same thing with someone in, uh, in need. Now, this isn't the answer to Jesus' question. It didn't go down well when people said, when they ignored. Maybe you're ignoring God. Maybe you're ignoring what He's called you to, to do. Maybe you're ignoring God calling you to work with young people or calling you to work with children or calling you to serve in the life of the church or whatever. Maybe you're just ignoring because God, I've sort of seen the picture and I can see that it's a huge issue and I can't make any difference, so I'm just gonna ignore. Maybe that's you, I don't know. The second way that people responded is that they work it out themselves. We do this, don't we? We forget there's actually a God of the universe who does care about us and who has got plans and purposes. You look at the news right now, it seems a bit like, really? God, where are you? What are you doing? And, and as humans, we can't help but fight against each other and, 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 and have problems and resentment. And this is the way the world is and it's very sad. 
And so often what we do is we work it out ourselves. We say, it's a bit like, um, uh, it's, it's almost like, you know, Jesus said, no, you feed them. Or where are we gonna get the food from? Jesus, I've done a recce, I've done the maths, and this ain't gonna work. This really isn't gonna work. I've, I've, done all the, I've worked it all out. Maybe you do that. Maybe you're a planner. Maybe you're, you're someone who looks ahead and you've done all the calculations and the math do not, does not add up. Maybe that's you. I don't know. I love how Philip answers in verse seven. Why don't you check this out? Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough food for each one to have a bite. Just a bite. Isn't that amazing maths that he was able to do that? Philip was obviously pretty clued up. He'd really worked it out. Just for them to have a bite, Jesus. Um, And so Jesus is like, well, that's not really the response I'm looking for. Last year, um, we, we, we moved DTI from like a smaller place to like a big uh, venue. And we, um, we had 3,000 young people and youth leaders turn up. And myself and Susie were often on the stage leading this huge gathering. And it wasn't 5,000 people, but we're getting close to that amount. And, um, and Susie did her talk. And she was talking about how Jesus heals today. Susie's my colleague. She's actually my boss as well. And so it keeps me in line, imagine that. Um, so so um, she does this talk about how Jesus heals today. And then she invites everyone with a physical, that needs physical healing to stand up where they are. Now imagine a crowd in 3,000 people. She reckons it was hundreds, but I'm more of a, I think there was at least 100 people or something around that amount that stood up. And then my job was to come up after Susan had finished the talk and lead people in a prayer of healing. And as I walked up onto the stage, I looked at all these people standing out up that needed healing. And this is what I thought in my head, oh no, oh no. There are gonna be so many disappointed young people. We're literally gonna promise them healing. Well, we, didn't, we don't promise healing. We say Jesus can heal and we believe he, he will. And, um, and I just, in my heart, I had no faith And I'm literally walking towards Sue's thinking, oh no, all these disappointed people. And as I was reading this text, I was like, this is how they felt. This is how we feel when we see this big need in front of us. And we see like, I don't have much. I I don't know. Like I'm I'm not going to pray. So anyway, but, but the Lord just like hit me with a sucker punch that day. Because I'm telling you guys, we saw so many people healed. In fact, what we told them is because people kept like shouting out, waving that they'd been healed. And so we had a huge, just a line of people come to the side of the stage, just giving testimony after testimony after testimony. Maybe your response is like, Jesus, I've done a recce and nah, this ain't happening. Love your heart, love that you wanna heal people, love that you wanna do stuff, but no, nah, not for me. But wouldn't we limit God if we live like that? I don't know about you, but I don't want to, I learned a very, very, in a way, humbling lesson. No one really saw that, but we saw hundreds of people healed. Let me just read you a few stories. Um, We had this lady that ran up to us, like this was after that day, and she shared that story. She said, I have been in agony. I haven't been able to stand up properly for three years. My young people gathered around me through that session. They prayed for me three times because I didn't get healed the first time. I didn't get healed the second time. But what you said to them, if, if God doesn't heal you, keep going, keep trying. God loves us when we try. 
So they pray for the third time. And this lady, after three years, she was fully, she could, she could run around. Um, and and, and this, is, this is what she said. She'd been in excruciating pain for three years with a, with a, a slip disc. And the doctors were considering injections and surgery when she got back. This is how she termed it. I am now completely pain-free. I can touch my toes. I have full range of movement in my back. I'm healed. This was amazing. And imagine if I had have got up in that meeting. Uh, let me tell you, this. I'll, I'll finish this other story. A girl called Lily. She had scoliosis, diagnosed scoliosis in her back. Basically, if you don't know what scoliosis, if you did an x-ray, the back looks like that. Big S in the back. That's why I think they call it scoliosis. I don't know. Um, it's got an S and a C in it. So C, C I don't know. Um, so anyway, in severe pain, and she was in a lot of pain at DTI. She stood up to receive prayer and her mates prayed for her. She came and found us, she did, she came and found us at the side of the stage. And um, she was actually shocked that she couldn't feel any pain and she couldn't actually feel the curvature. She went back home, got it diagnosed and the doctor basically said, I can't really see the evidence of, of what I saw in my back. And this is amazing. And this girl's actually based in Nottingham and I've had this confirmed again. She's, she's, she has not been in pain since. Now listen, I was going to share this bit. Imagine if I had a got up and said, God in Susan's ear, we're not doing this. She said, what do you mean? we're not praying for people. I've come up, I've had the feelings, I've seen the crowd, I've, but I, we're not doing it. Guys, all he wants, and I say this story, is all he wants is what you have. He just wants what you have. I love this quote from John Tyson. This is, Viv sent me this, so credit to her. Um, Jesus calls the disciples to feed the crowd, but the math will not add up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? This is the dilemma. You see, for the disciples, five plus two equals 5,000 very, very hungry people. But for Jesus, five plus two equals feeding the 5,000. And as I said, the theologians have argued probably 20, 15 to 20,000. That's what, see, and I say this, guys, to, to make the third point, is all you need to bring is to bring what you have. Just come with what you have to Jesus. Because when you come with what you have, it's in the hands of a miracle-working God. Not an average individual that isn't really sure about whether God heal, can heal or not. No, it's in the hands of a miracle working God. And so what we need to do is, and this is what the, this is what, um, the, the other disciple, Andrew, the good disciple, the disciple who got it right, he brought, see they all got it wrong, but he got it right. He sort of got it right, I'll, I'll explain in a second. He brought what he had. He said this in verse eight and nine. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many of us? You see, he came, it remind, he came, but he still had doubts. And guys, the thing is, it's okay to come to Jesus with what you have, but still have doubts. It's okay. If you're doubting about what God's calling you into and you haven't stepped into it or you're in it and you don't know if it's gonna work out, it's okay because you're putting it in the hands of a miracle working God. 
You're not putting it in your own hands. And that's the problem. We come to God with what we have. And then we say things like, but it probably won't be enough. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. Because if you take it and you put it in His hands, He can do miracles. All He wants is what you have. All He wants is what you have. I'm, I'm kind of going on about Sue's here. I was going to share my own story, but I love this story. Now, my friend Susie, um, in university, she was, grew up in a Christian family. Her mum was even a vicar. Parents were like, love the Lord, led the church, all this kind of thing. And then one day, she was in uni. She was living a lifestyle that was way off what she said she was a Christian. Her friend confronted her, and her friend said, Suze, you call yourself a Christian, yet you were drunk last night, You've been drunk every time I see you. You're not even in a church. And you tell me that you think God might want to use you for, to lead. He said, to, to be honest, you are the most discouraging Christian I've ever met in my life. Imagine, that's some serious friend, isn't it? Imagine your mate comes up to you and says that. How would you feel? I would feel like I've just had a slap from the Holy Spirit. I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, now, I tell you that story because Susie, the lady who shared that story, and I helped her pray. Well, I didn't, we didn't even pray for young people. They prayed for themselves. Jesus did a miracle that day. She's now involved in leading one of the biggest youth festivals and part of the, one of the biggest churches in this country, second to the, the guy who's leading it. Like, imagine what God can do when you put what you have in His hands. Imagine. And it's not all about numbers. It's not all about that. But, but guys, you, like I don't, you'll have your own story and you've got your own challenges and your own struggles. But imagine what God can do with someone who's obedient. That's what He wants. He wants our obedience. Jesus just wanted, He knew. He knew He was testing the disciples. He knew the miracle was going to happen. He just wanted to see their responses. And to ignore the crowd, to ignore the need isn't a response. To take it into your own hands and try to solve it isn't a good enough response. What Jesus wants is to partner with you. That's why he called it the Great Commission in Matthew 28, because it's a co-mission. Jesus, Jesus could do loads of things in the world today, but he, he wants to do it in us and through us. Remind yourself of that. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. Jesus will, will do, with, with, he'll work with whatever you give him. It's not your ability, it's your availability. Stop thinking it's about your ability, how well you can do things, how well you, you whatever, your credentials. It's your availability. Turn to the person next to you and whisper in their ear, it's your availability. Now, okay, he's still going. And then the other person, it's not your ability. <laughs> now, now, what I love about John, do you know, when I, I, I've recently, another thing that I was ignoring, um, I suppose we did have a baby and we're, we're, we had a lot on, but I've ignoring God calling me to go back out on the streets and share my faith. And I've been going out regularly with a friend of mine called Ben in Nottingham and we talk to people. We, we, we ask people the miracle question. Hey, can I ask you a question? If God could do a miracle in your life, what would it be? It's amazing how people respond. 
or the other one is Jesus at the door. It's a picture of Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. It was Charlie Mackesy did the drawing. It's an amazing way to share the gospel. I don't have it here to show you, but look it up. Jesus at, at the door. Um, and often what you have is people, we talk about the miracles Jesus did and we talk about loads of things. Now, what I love sharing about from John's gospel is it's that he was an eyewitness. He was an eyewitness account. He touched Jesus. He was the one Jesus loved. Well, that's what he said about himself. But he was the one that Jesus loved. Now this, and, and he writes, this is the seven signs. If you don't know, you're working through a series called the seven signs. And this is just one of the signs. It's a sign to point the, to the identity and the mission of Jesus, the identity that he was the great prophet, that he was the Messiah, that he was the one that the Jewish nation and the people, God's people were waiting for. And then also the mission is that his ultimate mission, and Jesus says it, was to seek and save the lost. That was his ultimate mission. That's why he came. Humanity got separated from God. Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, in human flesh to show the world what it's like when God hits earth and then he lives and then he operates and so that we could have an understanding. Not that we could trust that there was someone there, but we have an understanding of what love looked like. And Christians have been examples of Jesus ever since he, he, he rose again and sent his spirit. And I love what... Um, but the, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the ultimate mission. So just want to read uh, verses 11 and 12 again. Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who, who were seated as much as they wanted. Have you noticed that? As much as they wanted. So these guys weren't just fed by like the little boy's lunchbox. They, were, they had as much as they wanted. You know that saying, God will meet your greed, not, uh, need, not your greed? Well, he met more than their need. He met their greed that day. He met, their, he, he met he, as much as they wanted. And then it goes on, when they had all had enough to eat. Gather the pieces. And interestingly, there was 12 left over. I don't know. It's, it's a sign. It's a sign. So there was provision and there was satisfaction in what Jesus did. There was provision and satisfaction. And that's what happens when we come into contact with Jesus. He actually provides for us and he satisfies our every need. And this is important to know. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, not only can God provide for you, but he can satisfy you. How many are going to other things other than God for, for provision and satisfaction? I do. Have a tough day. No, God's calling me into prayer. Oh, it's easier to watch something. We all do it, provision, satisfaction, but He can meet our every need. You see, these, all these things that we read about, the seven signs, all throughout the Gospels, they're just signs. They're pointing to the greatest sign. Do you know what the greatest sign was? The greatest miracle? The, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you know what, and I, I want to argue, I met in a room like this, and I've got so many stories of what I've seen with my own eyes that Jesus has done. But I tell you, the greatest miracle I've ever seen, the greatest sign I've ever seen, is when one person turns away from their sin and follows Christ. It's, I still think it's amazing today, because over 2,000 years later, people are still doing it, guys. People are still doing it. 
They're still saying, hey, I've seen some signs. Because the thing is, if you can see people get healed, you can see God do great things. But as the story goes, as we know, loads of the, who, where are all those 25,000, 20,000 people when Jesus got taken to the cross? They all deserted him. The 72 that were very close to Jesus, he sent out. Only 12 remained. And even one of those 12 betrayed Jesus. You see, a sign isn't enough. A sign, just seeing with our own eyes. We've got to believe it. And we've got to take it on and we've got to embody it. And so I want to I argue whatever you've seen in your life, the greatest miracle is when one person turns from their sin and follows Christ. It's the greatest miracle. It's what we should be praying for. It's what we should be longing for in this nation. It's when someone says yes to Jesus. It's the greatest miracle. I'll finish with a story and then I'd love to pray. I was invited to speak at a youth event last weekend uh, in, in Wales. And I got there and it's just, I don't know if you've been to Wales, but it's stunning. There's so many sheep there, but it is stunning. <laughs> Apparently there's more sheep than people, and I definitely can attest to that. Anyway, we get into this venue, and I'm with two guys that, we've got a group of guys that are coming around with me this year, and, and they say like, wow, like isn't this beautiful? We're right next to a lake, there's this beautiful like Christian hostel that's been there for years, and there's young people coming. And on the first night I spoke, and a young person came up to me, and he said, thank you for that talk, that was amazing. And um, I, I, like I'm ready and I said what do you mean he said like I said are you a Christian he said well I am now and um and and I said have you been baptized he said I want to get baptized this weekend and you can imagine this was a Church of England camp so it, it caused a lot of issues yeah, like it, it, I just I won't go into them because they're kind of boring but what I do know is this kid was like 17 years old and desperate to get baptized in fact, that night, it was like pitch black and it was like no, hardly any, just natural light. And he said, oh, in fact, I want to get baptized now. And I'm like, mate, that isn't going to happen. It's like freezing cold and we're not going to be able to do that right now. But he said, and, and there could be some issues as whether you actually can get baptized or not. I need to talk to certain people. He goes, I don't care. I just want to get baptized because this weekend is significant for me. I grew up in a non-Christian family. My parents wouldn't care if they saw me get baptized or not. I just know I want to mark this weekend. I want to give my life to Jesus. And I just remember thinking, why are we even questioning this? Get the guy in the water, baptize him. Do you know what I mean? Believe and be baptized. That's what Jesus said. We make these things so complex. Anyway, so we ended up going down with some of his closest friends that had invited him. We got into this freezing lake and I'm an Aussie and it was freezing. Everything like just froze up um, and it was just cold and we were, you know, we we're about this deep. So, um, and we get in this water and this lad's there with his top off. He doesn't care because it's about Jesus. He's like, no, I just want to give my life to Jesus. Like he didn't really care. We read his name was Philip. So I read in the story of the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I said, you're not Philip in this story. You're the Ethiopian eunuch. And we've seen water and we're ready to get baptized. So we read that thing. His mates gathered around him. They laid hands on him. They prayed for him. We baptized this lad. And what I want to say, I want to share this story, guys, is because that's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle that Jesus ever did is not feeding what scholars say 20 to 15,000 people, whatever it is. It's that he came, he died, and he rose again. And he offered life for everyone who will believe. And so that's what he wants. He just wants, he wants you to go like this and offer your life to him. Offer what you have to him.
Give him what you have. Don't worry about it if it's enough. Don't worry if it won't feed everyone. That's not your issue, that's his. Too many of us think we've got to ask for the miracle and then be the miracle. You don't need to. You just need to present it to Jesus. What he wants is your life. He wants your commitment. He wants you, you poured out. And that's it. That's, that's what he wants. It's the greatest miracle. It's the greatest sign that we can see in our age. I'll say this as we finish. Don't just go after miracles, guys. Go after the miracle. Pray for your friends who don't know Jesus. Do the best you can to follow Jesus, that you'd live a life where people say, oh, okay, if that's what Jesus is like, I want to follow. It's the greatest thing. So as we pray and we worship, I want to invite you just to take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you put in my hand? What is it that I can offer back to you? Because that's all we're really doing. It's all His. We're just offering it back to Him. And so maybe you guys, we could worship or we could just um, respond, really. What do you think, Joel? It's up to me. Um, yeah, let's, 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 let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.